Hello and welcome to Drop Everything, the official podcast of the International Juggling Association. I'm your host, Dan Holzman. Today we have a great first podcast with David Kane, noted juggling historian. Before we begin, I want to thank the sponsor for today, who is Todd Smith. Todd Smith, also known as the Juggler's Friend. Go to toddsmith.com. Check out his great props, including the Assassin, the club with deadly accuracy. And don't forget, if you mention the podcast, drop everything to Todd, you'll get a 10% discount on all the merchandise. So, sit back, grab a cold beverage, grab some props, prepare to drop everything as we talk to David Kane. We're now recording with David Kane. Uh, this is the first podcast of Drop Everything, a Juddler's podcast for the IJA. I thought it was important to have as my first guest David Kane because you're involved with something that I really uh, feel is very important, maybe just us too, but that is uh, documenting and recording the history of juggling. Yes. Uh, I think it's, it's kind of a shame that the average person cares nothing about the history of juggling, but also that jugglers care very little about the history of juggling. In general, that's true, but I do see uh, that trend starting to change. Now, uh, before we get into the history in your collection, let's talk about the history of David Kane. Okay. So what first got you involved in juggling? Uh, boredom. Boredom. Uh, yeah. <laughs> what year was this? Because all years uh, are pretty dull. It was when I was 12 years old. Uh, I had nothing to do during that summer, and so I found three balls in a drawer, went out to my backyard, and just taught myself the basic three-ball juggle. That's pretty unusual. So you actually, with no knowledge of juggling, had you seen jugglers before that? Not that I recall. I, I, I literally just, I had just rummaging through a drawer, and there were three balls in there, and there were some juggling instructions. I didn't take the juggling instructions. I just took the three balls, went out there, and I somehow knew that what a cascade looked like uh, versus a shower. I didn't try to teach myself a shower. I just uh, but you must have seen juggling then, because without any instruction, so somehow it's just so, something to your brain, sort of subconsciously. I, I suppose so, I, but I, I have no recollection of, of seeing someone that inspired me or anything like that. Well, who was the first juggler that you saw after you learned, and did that person inspire you to then improve? Uh, the, the first time I ever saw another juggler in person was the moment I stepped into a uh, juggling convention in Cincinnati. And how did you find uh, out even about the – was this an IJA convention or a – No, no, it was just a local uh, – I'm trying to remember what they called it. Um, I can't re- even remember the name of it. It was just a, a local juggling festival in Cincinnati. They, they didn't hold it every year. It was uh, every several years um, in a fairly small gym. But there were probably 50 jugglers there. Um and the first person that talked to me, now at this time, at this point, I could do uh, three clubs with a couple tricks, three rings, four balls, cigar boxes, plate spinning, all, yeah, that type of stuff. Um, where, where did you get this, first, your props from? Did you was you already aware of like a, was there a Dubai at that time or a? Um, I I got my stuff I think from Jugglebug. I somehow Jugglebug. found out about Jugglebug. Right, right. Um, that's probably a name the uh, the more modern jugglers are not aware of. Yes, probably not. Uh, that may but, be a good thing, even though they 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 helped a lot to popularize juggling, at least have props yes. that were available. But they were kind of the uh, like, would you say the the whammo, the the sort of low end of oh, the yes. juggling the, props. Oh yes, definitely low end. 
but uh, it had a, a low sticker price uh, that people could get into it without uh, a huge investment. Yes. And so, yeah, there, there were certainly some, some good pros to Jungle Bug, but the, yeah, the, the quality of the prop was not. Uh, the greatest. So you're saying the first juggler that is, that you that actually talked to you, who who was that? Was Mary Spar. Oh, okay, and, Mary Spar, uh, right? Mary Spar from Xenia, Ohio, who uh, trivia buffs would uh, maybe recognize as being the first female to ever win a gold medal in the IJ numbers competition. Okay, I got to get confused with another uh, Mary that was also a collector. Okay, of, that, of uh, Mary that Mary Wilkins. Yeah. Mary uh, Mary Spar, um, she's the first female to ever win a uh, IJA Numbers gold medal. Um, she's also, right now, and for the last several years, has been the co-director of the Numbers Championships, along with my twin brother. What, uh, what was the, the, the record in, or what was the competition? Uh, uh, Three-person club passing. Okay. Was this fairly recently? What was the first year that a woman won a medal oh, in my, Numbers? Uh, I think it was 1990. Uh, 1990. It was the same year Francoise Rocher won seniors. Uh, so that would be 95. Was that in Las Vegas or Sparks, Las, Nevada? Las, yeah, one of the Vegas, one of the Nevada. I think that was the one in Sparks that was held in that sort of travel lodge area. You know, not in Vegas, but near Vegas. Right. Yeah, not so, one of the more memorable conventions, I don't think. Yes. Um, so, uh, but, but Mary was the first juggler that I ever talked to in person. And she really mentored me for many, many years um, and still is a, a great friend today. Um, but uh, so I was hooked. Um, I, I was a very introverted kid. Um, and so I was pretty self-motivated. Uh, after I learned the basics of three ball juggling, I went to the library and found a couple books on it. Uh, one was the, the juggling book by Carlo. And another one was uh, a book just about a variety arts in general. And um, I, I went home and made eventually made my first set of clubs by taking uh, balls of socks and duct taping them to uh, pieces of broom handle. Well, those uh, sound better than the juggle bugs, I think. <laughs> uh, <laughs> well, and then... Then I made uh, shampoo bottle clubs, and then eventually I bought some juggle bugs, and then I moved on to Dubay and then Todd Smith. So we're talking about like 1974, because that's the year that the juggling book by Carlo came out. Well, uh, I'm not that old. Oh, uh, the, that's how this, I learned was that it was from that book right when it came out. Yes. Uh, this this was about 1982, oh, okay. 80, 80, 81, 81 or 82. Right, so I guess I started probably about eight years before you, because I started in 74. Right. And then, so was there any jugglers at that convention that stood out as being, like, exceptionally talented or professional? Uh, no, the, I mean, the, the, there were three jugglers there that could do a five-ball cascade. Okay. And then how so, did you find out about, let's say, like the IGA and get involved? Well, I, probably by that time, I probably had already found the IGA somehow. Mm -hmm. Um. And because uh, I think that's how I found about out about Juggle Bug and ordered the clubs and such. Right. So I, I, this was, you know, I was already juggling for two or two years or so before I met anybody else. That kind of reminds me uh, of my story. It took like three or four years 
But like you say, as being an introverted, introverted guy, juggling is one of the few activities that you can just go in the backyard, grab a few props. So I started with magic, and I always thought like magic you had to show somebody. Right. Or juggling you could do by yourself and just entertain yourself. Yeah, there is a big difference. I, I was involved in magic uh, on and off uh, over the years, and that is a huge difference. Um, uh, you really can't do much magic-wise without an audience. Now, so what was the first uh, juggling convention from the IJ that you went to? Uh, first one was in Atlanta uh, in 85. And I, the first person I saw there, it was pretty amazing. Uh, my family and I were driving up, and uh, uh, Dan Bennett was out in front juggling six balls. Right. Uh, uh, half, half shower. And we said, where do we go to register? And he flashed four of them up and pointed in the direction and <laughs> went back into it. And I still remember that to this day. Well, Dan Bennett certainly is a good first example of, of juggling studliness. Yes, yes. And then at what point, so at that point when you went to the first convention, were you thinking about juggling as a career or was it just a, a hobby at that point? Oh, I was I was pretty hooked even, even at that point. I, I competed in juniors that year. Uh, horrible, horrible act. Um, <laughs> All right, um, hey, don't don't talk yourself up too much, David. Come on, yes, show some humbleness here. Um, but any particular uh, memories of that act? Was there? Did you wear the sparkly oh, vest? Well, and the... what I what I did was I even back in those days I was a multi prop person. I, I did a wide variety of props, uh, which is one of the things I'm known for. Um, and so I made a circle of piles of props all over the stage, and I more or less hopped from one pile to the other to the next one, doing a different prop. Uh, so no prop stand. Today, whenever I am coaching or mentoring um, a competitor or a performer, I, one of the things I always stress is don't put props on the floor unless there's a reason for it to be on the floor. And uh, so I... I I did not know that back in 1985. Um, so luckily, the uh, video for that year never came out uh, due to, I guess, some legal issues. So uh, I, the public has never seen uh, that act of mine. So I, I appreciate that fact. Now, is that because of the copyright of the music? I think we had to change yeah, that. There, yeah, there's, there's some, some issue with either that or the, the company that was producing the video and the IJA had some legal issue or something to that extent. I can't remember what it was. Um, but Any remembrance I, of who won that year or who the who the big players yeah. were back then? Um, uh, the winner was um, always oh, on the tip of my tongue. I can picture him uh, from, I believe he's from San Francisco. Michael, uh, that wasn't Michael Cass because that was far uh, ago. No, no. Oh, oh, who won? Uh, Andrew Head won seniors. Oh, okay. Uh, Ken, Ken Falk won juniors. Ken Falk, one of the uh, disappearing jugglers who showed yes. great promise as a young man, then right. maybe found girls or something, and then decided that uh, maybe juggling yeah. wasn't the path for him. Who, who knows? And um, uh, Dana Tyson and Benji Hill won teams that year. Okay, okay. Uh, I talked to Dana Tyson not that long ago. He's off doing the cruise ships. Oh, yeah. And Benji Hill, I have not talked to in a quite a long time. His his story and as his involvement with the IJ took a took a turn at a certain point. It definitely did. Well, I think he sort of got a reputation as somebody who 
maybe got a little too much inspiration from others, so to speak. That that's a very nice way of putting it. Well, this this uh, podcast is not about slamming other jugglers. Sure, sure. Uh, there certainly have been a few over the course of the years, uh, in my involvement with the IJ and your involvement as well. That, but I would say, and I think you would agree that, you know, 99% of the jugglers you meet are are really uh, friendly, helpful, and and pretty good people overall. Oh yeah. Oh, overall, yeah. in general. So then, um, what was your first like professional job? So you'd been juggling for a few years before you went to the convention. Yeah. You competed. Didn't quite go as the way you wanted to. No, I, I competed again two years later and, and got second place um, in a very controversial uh, uh, placement, I guess. But um, why was it controversial? Uh, well, because uh, at, at, they didn't announce who won for several hours after the competition was over. Okay. And I had tons and tons of people, including many of the judges, coming up to me afterwards and saying, oh, you, you got this. You won. There's no doubt. And um, I ended up getting second uh, to someone who did a, didn't do a whole lot of great juggling, but uh, did backflips and – it, sir, it turned out my technical score was by far the highest, uh, but my performance score was uh, fifth. And so um, uh, he squeaked past me uh, with a lot of non-juggling things. So the, the, the people who thought that the, the technical score should be uh, count higher uh, really thought that I had won and Vice versa, but well, that was the big controversy for a long time was that the judging oh, yeah. was broken into like a 60-40 kind of right. ratio, right? And that uh, as time went by, uh, I was helpful in trying to institute more of a categories within the judging context, right? And and, and, and I appreciate the, the work you did on that because I think the judging is the most fair it's ever been. Well, I mean, it comes down to a juggling contest, obviously. Performance counts, uh, style, creativity, but juggling itself has to be the the main criteria for a juggling contest. Right. It's not really a, a talent show so much as a display of juggling skill. Now, did you ever win the juniors? Were you ever? Uh... No, I, di I didn't win juniors. I, I just got the uh, the silver there. Uh, in teams, I, I've gotten fourth, third, second, and first. Uh, I got. Fourth, third, and second with my twin brother Scott, and then dumped him and uh, won it with Jay Gilligan. Good move. Uh, now let's talk about your brother a little bit. Did he also start juggling the same time as you? Because you're also known as one of the the sets of twins we have. I mean, there's yes. quite a few uh, twin jugglers. There are. There are. Uh, he didn't start when I did. He started about uh, a year or so later on, uh, and really didn't take it very seriously for uh, quite a while. Uh, I. Uh, it's a funny story what really got him to practice more. And that is uh, when we were 16 years old, um, uh, he got a job flipping hamburgers at a fast food restaurant. And I got, uh, got called to, do, uh, to open for the Grateful Dead. And oh, this is the same day. Right. So... Um, we both came home from our jobs, and I said, how much did you make today? He said, oh, like $23. How much did you make? And I said, 
And he said, I got to practice. <laughs> there you go. So there was a monetary incentive. Yes. yes. Now, so was your first professional jobs with him under the name Raising Cain? I remember that was one of the uh, monikers you guys a- used. Actually, we originally were called Mirrored Images. Okay. Um, which I totally forgot about until I found a, an old business card recently. Now, the first time I saw you guys perform, if you remember, was in that circus in the parking lot in Atlantic yeah. City. Was that how that, far that along was, was that in your, uh, in uh, your career? Yeah. That was, we were in college, we, were, we had just finished our freshman year of college, um, yeah, and I'll never forget that, uh, uh, we gave the worst performance of our life with you, Dick Franco, and Noel Franco in the audience, um, uh, we, we majorly choked. Uh, <laughs> well, I'm sure, I'm sure we were very uh, understanding, and, uh... <laughs> oh, absolutely, you absolutely were, but, but, uh, we we gave into the press the pressure of uh, juggling celebrity in the audience. Um, uh, we we seemingly forgot how to to juggle and uh, that day, but that's all right. Well, before um, we go any further, let's talk a little bit about that. As far as so, because for hopefully younger jugglers who listen, we can also offer some advice. How would you suggest that people handle the pressure? Because that's got to be one of the hardest things: is you're practicing, you're juggling in the gym or in your local environment. All of a sudden, now there's someone you want to impress, or there's a crowd. How, how do you go about handling those nerves? Well, I, I don't tend to get nervous at all um, for shows, now, and, I, and it's always been the case for me, um, except for competitions, right? Uh, and then, except for in, in that case, <laughs> um, I don't know. It, I think every person is. Is different. I, we talked about Dana Tyson a little bit ago. Dana is a wonderful performer, very su- successful, does uh, cruise ships, but he says he gets huge butterflies still before every show, and I don't. I don't experience that. So the the rare times I do, which like I said would be uh, mainly competitions, and then uh, uh, the time I did it for you and Dick Franco and Noel, um, that stands out. Um, you just have to, uh, you have to be prepared. You have to really, really know your act. Um, I think that would be the key for me as well. Is that you got yeah, to feel exactly. like there's no reason for you to drop. If you're dropping eight or nine times in practice, then you go to, to perform. You can't expect to do well. But if, if you go to yourself, right. there's no reason for me to drop. I'm doing it really well three or four times in a row with no drops. Because we all know if you're dropping a bunch in practice, when you hit that stage, you can multiply it by three or something. Easy, easy. Uh, you know, and dealing with you know the lights of a stage or a circus tent or whatever, uh, or the the rolling of a, a cruise ship, you've got to have your act down well. If uh, you know, my typical show is a 45-minute stage show, and I I rarely drop at all on that, that show. And if you're, if you're dropping a lot in your regular show, there's something wrong with your show or, you know, you need, you need to, to rework that. Um, I mean, do you think that most jugglers attempt stuff that's too difficult? Like they, they push beyond their boundaries. Oh, definitely. Uh, and a lot of it has to do with the age of, of YouTube. You know, if, if you, if you're like, well, I, I can, if I can do it on a YouTube video and it, it took me only 
30 times to get the trick, I should put that in my act. Well, I think that's no, one thing should. that sort of disappoints me sometimes is you'll see a juggler on YouTube and you'll go like, oh, my God, this guy is fantastic. But then when you see them live, you go, oh, I get it. Everything they did took multiple takes. What, what can they do live? Yeah, and, and, and you know, in YouTube video, the typical technical YouTube video, that's all it is. It's, it's technical stuff. Um, but, you know, being able to do technical stuff and being able to perform and, and uh, keep an audience for an, uh, 45 minutes or an hour, that's a completely different thing, completely uh, different animal. Well, I mean, you have editing, you have music, I mean, as far as the YouTube videos. But that whole syndrome of watching a juggler on YouTube and then thinking they're better isn't new. I remember we had a VHS tape of uh, Barrett Felker doing five club back crosses. Right. And this must have been back in the 80s sometimes. And then I asked him about that video because he, he looks, he does nails, it does it flawlessly. And even back right. then, it was something he had done multiple takes of. And that was just the one, of course, that he included. Right. So I think that's another thing when people talk about, oh, isn't this guy a great juggler? Like when they compare jugglers to Anthony Gatto, a lot of times they compare like a juggler they've seen on YouTube to a working professional like Anthony. And I think for guys like you and me who are really into sort of the professional side of juggling, when someone says a great juggler, we usually think of as a great professional juggler, meaning that part of it is what has he done in his professional career and how does he operate under the pressures of the highest stakes situation. Right, right. Like when you see Anthony at that Golden Clown uh, in, was that Monaco Circus Festival, mm -hmm. and you realize that that's the epitome or the pinnacle of, of sort of his his world or his field, and for him to pull off what he does flawlessly, same as like you're saying, even on a smaller scale, when someone competes at the IJA. Like you're saying in your regular shows, you don't feel nerves. But when you're performing or competing in front of other jugglers, it's very difficult, and what you can pull off in that environment really yep. says a lot about you. And, and unfortunately, there's uh, for a competitor, like a, you know, if you're competing in juniors or something like that, there's not a great way of uh, really recreating that feel apart from the actual competition. Well, it's also sometimes where you have like a professional will compete, and he kind of goes in with the act he does. Right. Or if someone's or an amateur right. and they want to compete, they don't really have a chance, like you're saying, to, to really perform that in front of a lot of people. Sometimes the first time they have a chance to actually be in front of people is at the competitions. Yeah, which under, under the toughest possible uh, conditions, both uh, psychologically and also often, you know, you know, they're not used to working with stage lights and, and all those types of things as well. But I'm sure you'll agree that... That's where you learn the most, by getting up in front of people. That's where the oh, lessons are so amplified. And unless yeah. you do that, unless you're willing to put yourself in those situations, like I remember uh, one of the times I competed, uh, it was in Baltimore, and mm -hmm. one of the prop manufacturers, before I went on, he said, like, oh, your silicon balls look kind of ratty, or maybe I was even using lacrosse balls at the time. He goes, let me give you these new, brand new silicon balls to use in the competition. Right. I'm like, oh, my God, you know, that's great. But I didn't realize that when my hands got a little bit sweaty, that these balls would basically turn into, like, ice cubes. And so I got up there, and I went to do my, my five-ball juggling, and even, like, the cascade was almost impossible for me to, to handle. So that, that right. knowledge of saying, okay, from now on, 
you have to make sure you wear the shirt you're going to wear, use the props you're going to wear. Yep. Try yep. to duplicate as much as you can the situation. So that was a lesson yep. that I would have preferred to learn somewhere else. But it's certainly one I've right. never forgotten even to this day because of, of the memorable nature of the, the flopola that occurred. Oh, wow. Well, at least you, know, you, you did have the, the most perfect uh, seniors act ever. I was one of the few guys who did go dropless. Um, dropless and not even a fumble. I mean, when Albert Lucas uh, competed in one, he at least had a fumble. But you had more or less what I would consider the absolute most flawless competition act ever. I appreciate that, and I also came in second. <laughs> yes, you did. <laughs> I did. Um, to, um, boy, he was the – Miguel, Miguel uh, Pereira. Yes. Yeah, he was a bounce juggler from – and that's one of, the way, one of the reasons I decided to get involved with the competitions because I thought given the criteria of what they were supposed to be looking for, I felt I should have won. I showed more versatility. I showed a theme. I showed more creativity. He had a yeah. couple more difficult stunts because I think I stopped at like five balls and he did a couple tricks with six. But I felt he was sort of your standard Mexican circus juggler. And there certainly is a, a sort of certain Mexican style oh, yeah. that is very passed down through the families. And uh, and so to have gone flawless and then go, okay, you're, you're still going to be beaten by a guy who dropped a few times. Just use one prop and you used four or five. Because also like yourself, I'm a guy who really likes versatility. I, one of your famous sure. uh, things people remember you for is the video you made where you did, what, 64 different types? Is that the correct That's number? Six. 61 types 61. of juggling. Yeah, that, that's my most famous YouTube video. Um, so what would people yeah, want I, to see that? They would just look up David Kane, 61 types of juggling? Yep, on YouTube. Yep. And that's just in like three or four minutes, correct? I mean... Yeah, I, yeah. you just you see about 10 seconds of each thing. It's a you know, fairly brief bit. Yeah, maybe six or seven minutes at the most. I can't remember exactly, but yeah... Uh, and I need to update that sometime. But uh, okay, we're up to the higher number now. What do you think? The number yeah, is I'm now? up to a higher number, and uh, some of the things like my whip cracking and my boomerang juggling and things, I can do so much better than what I have on there. Now, do you consider uh, things like whip cracking and boomerang juggling, or more like object manipulation? Well, they're object manipulation, and even in that video, I, I say it's 61 types of juggling and object manipulation. So, uh, what, what would you say the I, difference I, I, is? Do you feel that there's a, a is it the throwing and catching of an object that makes it juggling? Well, uh, for me, I'm not, I'm not too picky. I, I have a fairly broad definition, but uh, not everyone does. So that's why if you if you say both, then, then you kind of cover all the bases. I kind of call um, it the gravity arts. I know that's maybe a pretentious yeah. name, but because I always yeah. think that that if it's cool. I, I'll put it under the umbrella of juggling, baton twirling, yeah. boomerang, frisbee, yep. um, and even stuff like poi, of course, which involves no throwing or catching, has a lot of similarities to juggling. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah. Now, out of all of those categories of, of props and manipulation, would you say you have a favorite? Well, uh, certainly my uh, expertise would be uh, in club juggling, ball bouncing, uh, ball spinning, uh, boomerang juggling, and combination tricks. Those 
five, I think, are my my best category. You also have a, a YouTube video on musical combination tricks as well. I remember seeing that one. Yeah. Because you're also yep. a musician uh, as well. Do you feel there's a lot of similarities or it's easier to learn, let's say, something like music coming from juggling? Or was music first and then the juggling? Uh, they actually started around the same age. Um, I, I play uh, to a, a wide, a great different differing levels, uh, nine different instruments, I guess. Um, my mom was a high school music teacher or a public school music teacher for 30 years. Um, so I play piano, guitar, ukulele, dulcimer, uh, harmonica, melodica, just a whole bunch of different things. And I do see a lot of similarities. I mean, rhythm obviously is a very important aspect of both. Uh, muscle memory, um, just knowing how to learn things. Uh, you know, I, I don't think I'm naturally that gifted in juggling or music, but I do know how to learn things. And if you know how to properly learn a skill, that's going to take you a long way. But also, like juggling and music, there are a couple of those few activities that require the use of both hands equally mm-hmm. adeptly. Sure. So that yep. idea where, where, like if you do, you know, you play bowling or, or badminton or tennis, they're always so so one hand dominant, yeah. and then of course when you get into drumming, you have all four limbs, which right. is uh, even trickier than juggling. When I, I did a little drumming, and it's uh, right. to take, do that four uh, four limb isolation or, or coordination is is quite difficult. But right. let's get back though to a little bit about your your history. So you worked with your okay. brother, and then how long did that act uh, go for? And what were some of the highlights well, of that? Well. I, I worked at Kings Island Amusement Park for seven years, uh, all throughout all throughout high school and college, uh, except for that summer that I was toured with the circus. Where you was that uh, with your there. brother at the amusement park? Or was it- yeah, yeah. Uh, he was there for the first five of the seven years. Um, uh, but it, it was a great job for being a high school and college student. It was nearby. Um, and, you know, I got to do multiple multiple shows a day, six days a week. Um, huge number of shows over the years um, that really helped me both technically uh, to juggle under pressure and also as a performer. Uh, because originally I was a extremely introverted uh, person who really didn't like to talk in public. I, when I was younger, I had a speech impediment really badly. Uh, so um, over the years, and especially during that period, um, I went from someone who would never talk in public as a juggler to someone who, you know, today does a complete talking comedy act the, the entire way through. So there was a, certainly a, a personal development uh, for me over that time. That's certainly a job I would recommend to young jugglers as well. Anywhere we can do lots of shows. And sometimes amusement yep. parks, they're not the best paying. But right. one of my first jobs was at Magic Mountain. was eight hours a day. It was half an hour on, half an hour off. So I would do eight yep. half an hour sets. I did a lot yep. of line relief, which was entertaining at the lines yep. of the roller coasters. And for me, that was an opportunity to sort of try the same joke or the same trick over and over again because the crowd just kept moving along. I agree. I, if you think how if you define a show as performing for a different audience, right. Think how many shows you can get in a day at the amusement park. I got in quite a bit, but I also hid out a lot because nobody ever would watch me. 
So if they, and if they ever saw me like you know behind reading or something, oh, well, that's part of my half an hour that's off. I mean, you, right. you caught me there during you one of those break times because uh, juggling is fun. Juggling as a hobby is fun, but then when you get into the working environment, there are definitely elements of it: uh, the repetition of perhaps doing the same routines. Sometimes you're forced to work under the conditions, like if it gets very hot, uh, especially yeah. when you're working outdoors or in the sun, where it can kind of diminish some of the pure enjoyment of just juggling for its own sake. So you always, even sure. from the beginning, it seemed like you kind of had at least this desire to do it for money and to do it professionally. Was there a time when you said, okay, this is going to be my profession? Oh, I, I think pretty early on, uh, I, even though I went to college and uh, got a degree. My, the plan always was to juggle. And were your parents uh, supportive in that? Was that something that you had expressed to them? They were. They were very supportive. And, uh, and yeah, uh, never had any issue with that. Um, they, they weren't like a stage stage parents. That, or they didn't push you uh, into it by any means. They didn't push me into it at all. But um, if I wanted to do something, they, they were, were quite supportive. All right, so, so you and, worked uh, with uh, this amusement park for a while with your brother. Uh, then at a certain point you decided either to leave the amusement park or some other opportunities arose? Uh, well, what happened was I was I graduated from college and did one more, one more summer of the uh, amusement park. And then I said to myself, well, I have a degree. I've never worked a real day in my life other than performing. Uh, let me try it at the real world of work. And so for four years, I uh, worked as a guidance counselor for adults with disabilities. I have a degree in psychology, which, you know, having a bachelor's in psychology is like having a bachelor's in pre-unemployment. <laughs> okay. Uh, but uh, I, I, I used it for a little bit, and I still did, I still did gigs on the side. Um, but uh, I wasn't really happy with it. Um, and so during that time, I developed... Uh, the idea of doing a Christian ministry uh, with my juggling uh, and developed that while, while still working. And that took off like crazy. Um, I was I, the last year working full time uh, as a guidance counselor. I did 182 gigs. And that was while um, working full time. While working full time. And so I said, I can't do this. Um, so I quit the, the, the day job, and that first year of working full-time after that, I did 235 separate bookings. Um, so when you left the amusement park, that was pretty much also the end of your working with your brother, because then you got a real job, you're saying? and Yeah. He didn't go on to be a professional juggler at all. No, he, he, he uh, got a great job uh, right out of college. I mean, he was recruited uh, while I was still in college, I believe. Uh, working for the federal government, and he's a uh, he's a big wig with the federal government. That that's all I'm supposed to publicly say. I see. So he's a spy, basically. No, he's okay, not a spy. he's not a spy. He operates drones, but, or well, let's just leave it at that. Uh, he does something something mysterious for the government. He's on call at any time, has a license to kill. We'll just leave it at that. That ends part one of our two part podcast with David Kane. Thanks again to our sponsor, Todd Smith. Don't forget to mention this podcast to Todd. You get a 10% discount. Thanks also to the engineer, Karen Holzman, for doing all the engineering. And thanks to you for listening to the very first podcast, Drop Everything, from the International Juggling Association. Check out part two 
Until then, drop everything except when you're juggling.